You're listening to Parenting Through the Detour podcast, episode 15, Crystal Hansen and Helping Your Family Member with Addiction. Howard W. Hunter said, Your detours and disappointments are the straight and narrow way back to him. There are so many scriptures that tell us that all things will work together for our good. So how do we turn our detours and disappointments as a parent into something that is going to work together for our good and for the good of the most important people in our life, our families? Join me on this podcast and let's talk about it. excited for you to hear this podcast today with Crystal Hansen. She has so much valuable information to help people that have a family member that is in addiction. And if that is you, you're going to for sure want to pay attention and listen to this whole podcast today. But before we get to that, I want to let you know about a masterclass that I'm going to be teaching in October. This is a, you know, a topic that I get asked about quite often how do I love my child without condoning their actions? It's a really great question, and I knew that it was a class that I needed to teach. So this master class will have some teaching, but it will also have a lot of opportunities for coaching. So you have questions, you're going to want to bring them to this master class, and we can coach on them together. Now, this will be held on Thursday, October 14th from 11 to 12 in the morning, Mountain Time. Put it on your calendar now. Registration isn't open yet, but it will be soon. So if this is interesting to you and it sounds like something that you want to attend, then I want you to put it on your calendar now and stay tuned and registration will be open soon. Enjoy this chat I had with Crystal Hansen. Hey, welcome back to Parenting Through the Detour podcast. Today I have a special guest, Crystal Hansen. And I have to tell you that Crystal and I have known each other online for quite a while and it became friends online. And then we met each other this summer at a special training that we went to. And it was so nice to actually meet her in person. And she's such a lovely person and has so much wisdom to give to this podcast and the people that are listening to the audience. So she is a wealth of knowledge for families who are going through a really difficult situation because she coaches family members who have active addicts in their family and really specifically drug and alcohol addiction. So Crystal, I'm going to just give you a minute and would you introduce yourself? Yes, I will. Thank you, Tina. It is so fun to network and get to know each other. Like we have, I am Crystal Hansen. Like you said, I help family members who have somebody in their life that is an active addict and that's with drugs and alcohol particularly. And I came about this because I have a lot of firsthand experience with it. I have grown up with a dad who has been in and out of active addiction my entire life. He's still in active addiction. I also have some other close family members that have struggled with addiction themselves. And one that, um, has been in recovery for 10 years. And so a lot of experience on both ends of that spectrum. And I have a lot of love and compassion for people that are going through this journey because we can't always pick the journey that we're on. Sometimes we get put on a journey that is because of somebody else's choices. And so I have this passion and goal to help people that have been piggybacked on this journey of drug addiction by a family member that they love dearly. 
and want to help. Yeah. And what a needed resource you are to people, because this seems to be just more and more common in our society now. Um, do you work with LDS specifically? I am not LDS specifically, but I do have a lot of okay. Latter-day Saints that I work with. Okay. I'm LDS. So we naturally attract each other, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as Crystal and I talked about what to include in this podcast, we really felt we needed to begin with the way that we view agency and the blessing that it is in our lives. And it's really a gift, but it's also our personal journey to build the relationship that we have with our heavenly father and with the savior and our choices and the pe- the choices of the people in our lives give us an opportunity to learn and grow. We came here to learn a lesson that is perfect for us, not to live a perfect life. As much as we want to, sometimes we are not here to live a perfect life. So what do you have to add to that, Crystal? Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think we all have a very unique journey and purpose and our lessons that we are here that we gain from our experiences and the choices that we make in this life are uniquely ours. And there is a purpose to them. And because we believe in a loving heavenly father and our savior, Jesus Christ, we know that we can indeed live and make choices and go down the path that wherever life takes us. And we will always have a savior that will take care of us. Yeah. I love how you said it's uniquely ours because we do each have a very specific and personal journey here on this earth. And if we're so caught up in having that look perfectly and run the, just the way that we think it's supposed to, we run into a lot of problems, more problems we add on to what we were, what we're already experiencing in our life, right? By, right. by thinking that it should be different than it is. Yeah. And even like how you speak to, we want it to be perfect. And I like to think about this a lot, actually. And I'll, I'll talk to clients and family members about this, but it's always fun to get curious and be like, why did, what would it be like if it isn't perfect? How much will we learn if it isn't perfect? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't really learn from being perfect from having everything go the way that we want it to. There's no growth there. And we're not here to waste our time living a life without problems, right? Without things that make us grow. Exactly. Exactly. What does having a family member that's in active addiction look like? Well, in my personal experience, and I know that it looks differently for everybody, but in my personal experience, having somebody in your family that is in active addiction, whether it is a parent or a spouse or a child there is a lot of unknown. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of questioning and our control is pretty limited. And so a lot of times that can feel scary and it can lead to us focusing on the other person and what they're doing and what they're not doing and creating these stories in our heads of what they could or could not be doing or what could be happening to them. There's just a lot of worry. And like I said, that specifically comes from when we're focusing on this other person and their agency and their choices. And the fact that we don't have control often leads to feeling like overwhelmed and stressed and loss and 
and just no, basically, like I said, control, um, Mm -hmm. comes from that. So as parents, shouldn't we be focusing on helping our kids? Like, how do you balance that? If it's your child, how do you balance that need to help them without controlling them and, you know, limiting, eliminating the fear because that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even possible. It's, it's so funny. I think sometimes when we hear, you know, those typical church answers of like, just have faith or just say a prayer or do those things while those are great options, they often don't help in that clutch situation of the fear of their safety or, you know, what harm and pretty significant harm that they can be doing to themselves. And so I love the saying and understanding and kind of putting this lens on it where we can actually love our family members to death. And so when we take a path of trying to control or trying to fix or trying to enable them so that we can get this result that we want, which is no drugs and alcohol and that they aren't Mm -hmm. living this addictive life, we take that path of enabling and that can actually lead us down that path. Like I said, of loving our family member to death, because when we don't let them experience their agency and the consequences good or bad that come from their choices, we're taking away their lesson and we're taking away their agency in a sense for them to be able to learn and grow or take from that, that they, what they need to. And that requires such a, an amount of faith and trust in God to be able to let go of the control and to let them learn the lesson that they're here to learn through that experience. Yeah. You know, I love, there's a scripture that we tend to think in, in the gospel that, that this life is a test and that surely we, there's ways to fail this test. And there's a scripture in Abraham that talks about, we'll send them to earth to prove them. But ancient, the ancient definition of the word prove is actually, we will let them learn by experience. And when you let it, when you look at it through that lens of learning through the experience that we have in life, that means no experience that we ever have is wasted. Even the ones that we would rather not have. Those, they're all, they're all for our benefit and they all work together for our good if we allow them to. So when we look at that through that lens of like our children's agency, it just, I think it just puts it in a different perspective. It doesn't minimize the hurt, but you know, we talk sometimes about clean pain and dirty pain. It moves us out of dirty pain where we're like, this shouldn't be happening. This is wrong. Um, I have to change it. I have to fix it. I have to control the situation because that's dirty pain. And then we move it into clean pain in this sense of, I would rather not have this situation in my life, but it's here. I love this person. What can I do to help them and allow them to take responsibility for themselves? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love the part about where you were talking about the lesson, right? Is that what you said? The lesson, what Abraham was saying, like taking away, what was it that you said? Oh, when, when we, um, we're here to prove ourselves. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I believe it's Heather Rackham that I heard this from where she said that 
this life isn't in what she believes. And I, I want to echo that it's not so much about us proving ourselves to God, but us proving ourselves to us. Mm-hmm. And that is the purpose, right? And by taking that on as a parent and wanting to control and fix, we're taking away that experience. And as hard as it is, I think for me, it's easy to go to that lens of having compassion and love for my father in heaven for all of the restraint and love he has really, to give I know. <laughs> us that permission, right? Yes. Like as a parent, I mean, and I don't have children that are active in drugs that I know of they're young. I have a 13, 11 and and eight. So not that I know of, they better not be (laughs) this young, but I don't know what that would feel like, but I do know that these being able to like, look to our father in heaven as an example of, of course he's perfect, but we can look to him for strength and for guidance because he knows, and the savior knows our pain as well. And it's doable. If there's anything I've learned from the savior is that it is doable. We can do it. It's not going to always be comfortable. It's not going to be fun. It may not always be our first choice, but it is doable. Yeah. And that doesn't just apply to the addict. It applies to all the people that love the addict. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does that look like when a family member is trying to recover from addiction? In my experience, it is a lot of grace and a lot of compassion and a lot of pain still, right? Like we all know, I mean, the best example of somebody learning something is a child walking, right? They, they stand up and they fall and they fall and they fall until one day they finally get it. And I think that really having the compassion to look at getting into that recovery mode is having the compassion of knowing that there's going to be some setbacks and there's going to be some mistakes that are made and it's a process and just having a lot of love and compassion for all the emotions that come with that. And I, and I want to give a caveat to that too, because for me, as far as working with somebody who is the family member of the addict, there's a lot of weight that comes on the parent or the spouse or the children to help them change, to be a support system for them to change. And while that sounds noble, if we're not coming from the headspace of being clean ourselves and being strong and loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves, we can't support another person. And so it really is our own journey in recovery as much as it is helping the addict we're have we have to help ourselves get there too. And we have our own journey in that and being able to have compassion for yourself to allow those emotions that come up with frustration and love and stress and overwhelm and, and frustration and sadness, just being able to really allow those to be present and knowing that's part of the journey. Yeah. And in my experience, you, it's really hard, almost totally ineffective to try to help someone if you are not in a space where you are good with where you are. Absolutely. You have to regulate your own emotions and all your thoughts and your feelings around a situation, especially one that feels really big and really large and overwhelming before you can actually effectively help somebody else. And Mm -hmm. just the process of you getting to that point in your life 
is helpful to others, even if you haven't even actually done, felt like you've done anything to help them, just your way of being an up-leveling yourself is an inspiration and a light to others. Yes. Yes. I think that the best gift gift that we can give to somebody is the best version of ourselves. And the only way that we're going to get there is through that own personal work, like you're saying. Yeah. But we want to focus and fix everybody else because we rarely see that there's something in ourselves that we need to work on. And we see all the problems that this person over here has, and those are way bigger than my problems. And so we should focus on that first. And that's kind of backwards the way that we do that. It's like, we hear that, you know, analogy of like, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help anyone else, but we don't often apply it in this way. Like I have to work on myself before I can help anybody else. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so easy to justify not like, I, I remember hearing that analogy and <laughs> always laughing and being like, okay, but like in reality, if you could like be on a plane when it's going down, how many mothers or parents out there are really logistically putting it on themselves first and then their kids in spite of us telling it to, right? Like it's our innate nature as a parent to help our children, right? Like that's, that's inherent. That's something that that's a gift that we're given. And it can be that, that gift. And it can also be that hindrance a little bit too. And so kind of trying to find that balance of helping them, but in the best way for them, not Mm -hmm. what feels good for us. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a little novel to people to hear that helping yourself is actually helping your child in the best way. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. For sure. Is there anything else you want to add to like, it looks like to have a family member trying to recover? You know, I think that we really covered quite a bit of it. Um, like I said, I have one family member that is in full recovery. Um, it's my brother-in-law. I'm so proud of him. We're coming up on a big anniversary. I believe it's his 10th year of being clean and watching him go through that and all of the, the rehabs and the drug courts and all the things that happened looking back on it. Now it's really easy to see that that was part of the recovery, right? All of those, all of those situations that take us down that path of, I know, at least from my experience, watching my dad go through, um, and I, I often remind myself that this is remind myself, this is part, this is just the part of recovery, right? You have to let them experience this life and the consequences of it until they're ready to choose to change because nothing's more frustrating than wanting somebody else to change for the good more than they want to. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not even effective if you oh. want it more than they, they have to want it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As, as and, much or more than you want it for them. Yeah. And just knowing that that path, like when they do want it, that's when the change does happen. And when mistakes happen along the way, that's just the part and that's okay. And that we can give ourselves the space to mourn and feel, but then also by doing so and giving us that grace and that compassion to let ourselves mourn, that's when we can come from a place of support and be that rally, be that parent that's telling the little kid, Hey, get back up again. And let's try walking again. Let's try it again. Yeah. And also when you do see those fails and those setbacks, not making them mean that everything is falling apart, that we're never going to make it because that's also not effective if we're going in that line of thinking. 
Yeah. It's that all or nothing mentality, right? Like if it doesn't look perfect, then it's going to be so bad. And it's, it's never going to, it's never going to change. And realizing that there really is this continuum in the middle that it ebbs and it flows. And everybody's just on that journey of making their way. Yeah. Now I know that there's like, especially in the church, this is something that we don't like, if you are a parent of a child that is an addict, it's not something that you really broadcast to the, you know, get up and talk about it in Relief Society or Fast and Testimony Meeting. Although I'm sure that there have been people that have done that, but often people in your ward know because we do have a pretty good grapevine going on in our church, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, and we there's, do. <laughs> there's some shame that can come along with that when you're thinking, you know, people are talking about me um, and it can be an embarrassment or a shameful thing to know that you're the subject of conversations among other people. So when you show up for church, we're just going to go into a few things on this same topic, but I think we talked about like showing up to church for your why, like, why am I coming to church? Do I like my reason for coming to church? Um, and, and liking your reason enough to get you there and decide what you want your intention for being there to be. Right. Yeah. Getting clear on that why is so important. I think, um, at least for me, when it came to coming to church, church, we always talk about church as being this wonderful place. And I, for the most part, believe that even in my darkest days and darkest hours, the spirit always finds its way to you. And Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need in our moments. But sometimes church can be pretty lonely or we can feel like, is there even a place for me here? I remember growing up and and talking about eternal family and the word of wisdom and things like that and lessons and and being able to look at that and be like, okay, it's supposed to look like this, but it doesn't. So what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear a lot about this from women who are divorced in the church. I know that when my mom was going through divorce, I was in high school and she was divorcing my dad and just not feeling like there was a place for her because our doctrine is so wonderful in the sense of eternal families in this perfect plan. But when we are down here and we don't have all the puzzle pieces and we don't know what the big picture looks like, sometimes it's hard to know if there is a place for us there. And like I said, I do know that the spirit will come and give us those tender mercies when we need it. But heavenly father is really good at holding space for us to feel all of the emotions of this life too. Yes. Oh, he's so good at holding space for that. (laughs) No matter what we're going through. Yes. And, and like, I like how you said, like, you feel like there's not a place for you anymore. Like Mm -hmm. you, I equated it to like, I used to feel like I was inside. Now I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. And that was a really, really painful place to be. And it doesn't just occur with, you know, divorce and with a child who's an addict, it can be so many different things that, that lead us to feel like we're on the outside looking in. And mm-hmm. so when you're in that headspace, it's really great to be clear on why you're going to church. What do you want to get out of church? In fact, a couple months ago, I would just decided I really need to be intentional about why I'm going to church, what the things that I love about it are. 
And then what things I don't love about it. And I got this notebook and I just started writing things down. And I have a list of like, this is why I'm going today. This is what I want to get out of church today. This is what I heard that I loved. And this is what I heard that I want to leave and not take home with me. And that's really helped me to be super clear on why I'm still there and what I want to get out of church. And has helped me connect more fully with with God when I, when I am there. I love that. I love that. It's, it's interesting when you really do get clear on your why about church, how much, and you can tell me how you feel about this too, Mm -hmm. Tina, but like really feeling that connection with our heavenly father is so much stronger when we're anchored in our why it's not just to check a box. It's not just to be there. Cause this is what we're supposed to do when we don't feel like we're in the in crowd, like you said, it affects so many people. There's a lot of people that don't feel like they fit in the in circle of the church. And when we, we have this blessing of being able to really get clear on our why and anchor to that. And that's sometimes that one little tether of what keeps us there. And that special place that we get to have that connection with heavenly father that we wouldn't have otherwise, just because we're checking a box or it's just something that we've always done. It's an active choice. Yeah. Oh, I love that visual of a tether. Like this is tethering me to God right now. And Mm -hmm. this is why I'm doing it. I love that. The other thing, one of, I love your idea of the journal. I I do the same thing where I pick out the pieces that I want to keep. I have it on my phone and I'll take the things away that I want to, or if it really is just that I'm going to tether myself to heavenly father today. And this is just me showing him that I love him and I want to be in his house today. Um, the other thing that I love about this lens is being able to see other people. And I think it's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to you, Tina, is that we share this. And while our, our stories and our reasons for feeling on the outside sometimes are different, it's that commonality and that love of like, we can do this together. Like I understand, I see you, I hear you and I understand you and let's stand together. Mm -hmm. That is such a great place to bring us together and to be able to be that person for somebody else sometimes. And then also have that person be there for us when we need it too. Yeah. And I think that when you have felt like you're on the outside looking in, you notice the signs of somebody else who's feeling the same way. Yep. You see the tiny little things that they do or they don't do and the looks on their face when certain things are said or done. And you're like, that person needs a friend right now. Yeah. And you know how to go and connect with them. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's, I think that's a big reason why we're at church is to see how we can help each other. Absolutely. See when someone else is struggling. I absolutely agree with you. I love, um, I believe it's Hank Smith in his book, living the parables where he talks about the good Samaritan and how oftentimes in the church, we've, um, used that as a symbol as a symbolistic way of us saying that we're the, you know, the Samaritans and going and finding, you know, the people on the side of the road, but mm-hmm. in his, in Hank Smith's book, living the parables, he talks about how the savior is the Samaritan and we're the innkeepers and he will entrust us with those people that are wounded, that need help, that, he will say, here you go. And here's, I'm going to give you all the tools and everything that you need to take care of this person because I love them and I care. And I'm going to entrust you with this person too, because I love you and I care. And we're, we're in this together. And I love that visualization for all of us members of the church that we don't have to have the same story to help each other through our pain. Yeah. 
I love that. That's such a great, that's a great way to look at that parable. Love Hank Smith. He's so smart. I do too. Such great stories. (laughs) I agree. And Brene Brown, who we both love also, she says, like, only share your story with those who have earned the right to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we hold those stories in because we're too, it's too painful to share them. And then we all know people also that share their story with everybody. And it's a little inappropriate sometimes, and it gets to feel extremely uncomfortable. So let's elaborate on that. How do you know when someone has earned the right to hear your story? What do you think? Yes, for sure. Well, for starters, I think knowing that is understanding you and you owning your story and loving you no matter what, right? Because we can't ever control how somebody else is going to react to our story. But like you said, when we have a relationship with somebody and we've put them into a position of trust and we share the story, I love really diving into like what that means to share a story. Cause like you said, we have times where stories just get held inside and we don't share them or things will get overshared. And I think sometimes when we fall in that overshare category, it's just sharing those facts or those like news lines, like, as if I would say, and I can speak from experience with that, where when you do have, it is in the news, like something will happen. And right. And, and I remember that in high school thinking, oh my word, I have to go to high school. Like I've got to go to school today. And everyone just like read or heard on the radio news this morning, like all these things that happened. And that's how we share it. Right. It's like very factual, but that really isn't the story. Those are just Mm -hmm. the facts. Our story is that vulnerable piece that this is what happened. And this is how I'm feeling. This is what it's doing to me. This is what it's like. This is how I'm seeing it. This is how, what it's affecting, how it's affecting me. This is why I'm showing up the way that I am. Like, here's this information. Here's a little piece of my soul. And that is something that we want to share with people that we trust and that we feel comfortable sharing, but also loving ourselves enough to know that their reaction or how they show up is not any type of ownership that we need to take either. That doesn't reflect the validity of our pain or our story or the, how important or important it is. It doesn't matter what or how that other person shows up. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes like you said, you just have to make peace with the fact that there are going to be people that talk about you and about what's going on in your life. Um, but it just comes from a lack of awareness or experience. And, and it's just part of our humanness to do that mm-hmm. at times. Um, and when, when that does happen, I just think I have kind of compassion for those people. And I'm thinking, oh, they just haven't had their big story happen to them yet. Mm-hmm. but they'll have their chance. Like their chance is coming and then they'll understand. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, and then another person that we both love is Byron Katie. Yes. Like in the coaching world, we talk a lot about Brene Brown and Byron Katie because they have such awesome um, words of wisdom for us. Mm-hmm. And she says, there are three types of business in the world. There's my business, other people's business and God's business. And I'm far happier when I stay in my own. And I know you have some thoughts about that. <laughs> oh, I love that. Love Byron, Katie, love Brene. We, I'm like the gang's all here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I love that. I think even just the reminder of that and the awareness of taking a step back and saying, okay, what, what's my business? What's mine to own? And then what's everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And then the best part is recognizing what's God's. And when we recognize what God's business is, that's when we can be like, okay, for me, it gives me so much peace. Like when it's God's business, I don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. And I think that that directly refers to, or directly um, ties in with last week's podcast or the podcast on stewardship versus ownership. Yes. I love because God's business is like giving us these challenges and inviting us to grow them Mm -hmm. through, through the things that we've been given. And when we fight against those or think that we know better or just like refuse to take them, we're not really accepting God's business. We're trying to make it our business and we're not allowing ourselves to grow as we could on this earth. Yeah. What I love about that. And I, like, like I said, I loved that podcast. What I love about that is really the awareness of how much of it really is God's business, right? Like our stewardship versus our ownership. It's not a balanced thing. Like we really do get to give a lot of this to God, which is the best news ever because his plan is perfect. And we don't have to know all of the things right now. Yeah. And when we go into ownership over these things, then it's just creating a lot of additional problems for us and a lot of emotional turmoil inside over the things that we're going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really easy for our brains to go into this like storytelling mode too, where Mm. when we feel uncomfortable, that's what our brains want to do, right? We want to like get rid of the discomfort. So we have to make sense of the discomfort. We have to make sense of the feelings. And then that's when our brains go into storytelling mode, storytelling mode to like really create even more drama and more pain. <laughs> Let's talk about stories. Cause that is something that we really need to talk about because when we have feelings and thoughts about ourselves, judgment about the things that are going on in our life or the things that are happening to us, we have so many thoughts and feelings about them. And we go somewhere like church or some somewhere else. And we project those same thoughts and feelings onto the people around us. And think that they are thinking those things about us. And we sometimes will die trying to say, this is a fact. This person does think this about me. And and we will argue to the death about it. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, maybe they are and maybe they aren't. We know very few facts in our life. And we see a, a handful of facts and our brain doesn't like unfinished stories. And sometimes it will, well, often it will go into those facts and it will complete storylines and fill in all the gaps with all the things that usually reflect the worst about us, according to our greatest insecurities. And then we believe them as facts. Yeah. And then we go into this shame, blame dance, right? Where we're feeling bad about ourselves and creating this big blown up story of that's full of heartache and trauma and, and sorrow and sadness to justify the shame, but then we don't want to stay there either. So then we have to blame, we have to find somebody else to blame so we can push that onto somebody else. And it's just this dance back and forth of shaming and blaming ourselves 
and shaming and blaming others. And the, I think the saddest thing about that whole cycle is that we're in the sh- when we're in the shame and blame dance, that it kills the connection that we can have with another person mm-hmm. and able to have them connect with us or us connect with them so that we can both gain strength from each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like to always remember too, that somebody else doesn't have to be wrong in order for me to feel right or justified in the way that I feel. I get to own how I feel and I get to be completely anchored in that. And somebody else can feel the exact same way. And it doesn't have to be a wrong or right. It doesn't have to be who's wrong or who's right. Yeah, absolutely. So often we want to make, we think that one of us has to be wrong and one of us has to be right, but often it's just, we just need to agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to find who's wrong and who's right. It's often that choice of, okay, do we want to like fight a battle that will never have an ending or a winner Mm -hmm. or do we want to just be happy instead? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to get to that point where you're like, I'm just going to let this go to preserve a relationship because that means more to me than just proving that I'm right. Yeah. And, and one thing that I think helps too, sometimes is, is even to bridge that a little bit, because like you said, it is hard to just drop in to say, well, I agree to disagree. I'm going to be happy now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the line. I'm willing to consider adding. I'm willing to consider that I don't have to be right, or they could be right, or I could be wrong. Whatever it is that you fill in the blank after I'm willing to consider mm-hmm. helps kind of bridge that a little bit. So that there's not so much resistance between once again, that opposite, that polar opposite of like Mm -hmm. worst and best case scenario. Yeah. That's a lot. I love that to bridge the the gap between that person and and you and what you can agree on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. How do, how do you think that parents can help their child or another family member who has an active addiction? Like what are some things in your experience that you've seen that are effective? This is a really good question. And it's one I actually get asked a lot. Um, it's one that I talk about a lot because there's really, we want to go jump into that person's actions, right? We want to go, if, if we change their actions, that's how we can help them. If we just, if they just stop doing drugs, if they stop looking at pornography, if they just stop doing this thing, whatever that may be that's causing us pain, then it will fix it. But as much as we want to help and fix in this situation, the best thing that you can do is set boundaries. And we could take a whole podcast and go over boundaries and all those things, because that's another topic in and of itself. Um, Mm -hmm. but that being said, just to kind of do an overview a boundary is there not to punish somebody else or to be there for a negative purpose or for you know, a defensive mechanism, a boundary is there so that you can love you and show up as your best self for somebody else. Right. So sometimes it's just choosing to be quiet and walk away. Sometimes it's choosing to sit there and just be willing to consider that this is a growth process for somebody else. Right. Or knowing when to just walk away because that's keeping yourself safe. Um, but really setting healthy, clear boundaries for you. You don't even have to tell the other person, but just being willing to love yourself enough to set boundaries that will help you stay safe and feel good, but then Mm -hmm. also showing up as your best self for somebody else. Right. 
Um, another important thing is to make time for you really take that time to take care of you, to know your why, to be able to show up for you and give yourself that headspace because that caretaker brain sets in. And we just think once again, if we just change everybody else's actions, then we're going to be happy. But one, we're arguing with reality because we don't can't control other humans. I mean, somebody can figure out how to tell me how to do that. Then I think we'd we'd be out of a job for starters, but really like just being able to love you and make time for you and asking like, what do I need right now? Not what does my family member or this person that I love, what do they need right now? We have to fill up our cups first. What do I need right now? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think another key point there's four that I really like to circle back to. And that third one is getting support and whether that's a support group or a friend or a family member or a therapist or a coach, somebody put some people in your corner that you trust and that actually give you support just because it says support group doesn't mean that they're always supportive. So really being in touch and in tune with you and knowing like, is this beneficial to me? Is this helping me? Is this showing, is this helping me show up as my best self? Is this giving me what I need and not giving me more to do's mm-hmm. around the other person. Or sometimes I see support groups, like you said, actually make sure they're giving you support. Sometimes yeah. support groups turn into gripe groups and yes. let's just kind of wallow in our misery together kind of groups. Yes. And, and while that supportive. no, and while it feels good in the moment, I mean, heaven knows that like when we vent or we want to get it all off our shoulders, that can be cleansing and that can be helpful, but it's not supportive when nobody's there with a clear vision and a clear eye of how to like bring us back to reality and to a place that is effective instead of just swimming in this victim story. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last thing I really like to tell people of how to help is to talk about it, talk about it with them, try to get to a place of love and compassion. And sometimes that first step is just accepting that it is what it is, right? Somebody's story, somebody's choices, they just are. And accepting that and having enough love and understanding of our heavenly father's plan that we can respect each other's agency and love them and have compassion for them from where they are at. But talking about it, having those conversations about how do you feel? This is how I feel like really being open. I think sometimes it's easy to just be like, well, it just makes sense that I would feel this way. People should know that this is how I feel, but we're all just doing the best that we can. Yeah. And, and there's such strength you have in connecting with another person Mm -hmm. and really listening to their story. Yeah. And in listening to what life their life is from their perspective. Absolutely. And so often we're, we're scared to open up and ask them, like, tell me what this is like for you Mm -hmm. or ask them really hard questions. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of that in my life lately. I've been asking the people that I love the most, some questions that are really, that for me are going to, I know are going to be hard to hear the answers to. Yeah. But that's when you actually start to open up and connect on a deeper level when you can be willing to go there with another person. Yeah, for sure. And really taking on that role of that are of trying to be like the savior, trying to be like Christ and having that compassion and love 
mm-hmm. for the person exactly where they are. That was probably the most freeing thing that ever happened to me in my life. And it took a long time. I don't want to create, ever create an illusion yeah. that for me to be able to stand here today and say that I can actually say and believe that I'm happy because I grew up with a dad who has struggled with drugs and alcohol my entire life instead of in spite of it. It takes time. It takes grace, but it definitely comes from, like you said, listening and talking and hearing other people's stories and hearing their perspective and understanding that everybody else like us is just trying to do the best that they can with what they have and what they are given, what path they're on. Yeah. So often I try to remember that everybody is just doing the best that they can. Sometimes that's pretty bad, Mm -hmm. but if we give them other people, the grace, like I know that they're just doing the best that they can. It really opens us up to releasing judgment of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this book that I really love and you might've already read it. I don't remember if we had this conversation or not. All things new. Did we talk about this book? I don't think we've talked about this book, but I'm sure it's on my list because it's oh, Crystal, you need to read all things new. It is at the top of my list. Now. <laughs> Terrell and Fiona Gibbons wrote this book and they talk about how the mistranslation of the Bible has distorted different meanings of words for us. And one of the words that they talk about is sin and how we view sin and its connotations And it really means a state of woundedness. So if you view another person's sins or your own sins as a state of woundedness, that automatically shifts the way that you see yourself and the way that you see other people. And it leads you to know that you need healing as well as everybody else needs healing. And how much closer will that draw you to the Savior when you think that sin is woundedness And he's there to heal us. I love that. I love that. It definitely takes the wrong or right or the negative connotation out of sin, right? Because Mm -hmm. whenever, especially from a church standpoint, when we're always, you know, feeling like we're supposed to make the right decision, we're supposed to make the right choice. This is the path of righteousness, right? We Mm -hmm. always think that that means the perfect choice or the good, better, best choice, but what if perfection comes from those wrong choices or those sin choices, right? Like those wounded choices are the ones that help us gain all the lenses that we need to become perfect. Yeah. And I love it. This just goes perfectly along with that analogy that you were talking about, like a baby learning to walk. Like you don't just expect a baby to get up and walk from the first time that they pull themselves up but they're going to fall and all of us will fall. And that's part of our woundedness is falling and then just encouraging each other to get back up and try again. Yeah. Yeah. And from a parent standpoint, how many times do we have to tell ourselves to stop? Like, Oh, we got to let them do it. Like we got to let them, we got to let them try. We got to let them fall so that they can learn. And, and sometimes being that person, being the parent that has to step back can be the the hardest thing, but the most beneficial thing that we can give. Yeah. Because eventually they have to let go of our hand. Oh, darn. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Just like Heavenly Father has us let go of his hand. Yeah. 
So what else do you, do you have anything else that you want to share before we end this chat today? You know, I think if I could just give one message, which I think you and I both share this passion is really just taking church and religion and community as an opportunity to have compassion for everybody else that is going through a struggle, right? To be able to, instead of separate and have these different containers of, well, you fall under this category and you fall under this category, or you don't fit in this place right here is to really like get to know everybody else's story and how we actually are more alike than we think. We actually have a lot more to give to each other together than we do separately in these separate containers where people just in our heads, we can say they just don't understand. Absolutely. And that's probably a, a prominent thought in a lot of my clients' heads or like, oh, those people over there, just they just don't understand. Yeah. They just don't understand where I'm coming from. And maybe they don't yet but they sure won't understand if we're not having conversations from a place of love and compassion than we are from just staying quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Crystal, this has been a great chat. Thank you so much for being here. How can people find you if they would want to hear more and connect with you? It has been such a great day. Thanks for having me, Tina. Uh, you can, people can find me on social media. It's crystal Hansen at crystal Hansen underscore is what my, my tag is on Instagram. Um, I have a website that is linked there in the bio. I'm pretty open in my DM. So a lot of people will, can just slide in there and I'm pretty quick to give a voice message back. So that's typically the best place I'm on Facebook, but I spend the majority of my time on Instagram. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Crystal. And thank you so much for doing such a great work and helping people that are really hurting and need the help right now. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, Tina. Thank you for being that person that teaches me every day too. I, I learn and grow so much from you and I appreciate your podcast and all of your insight and the love that you project just by being you. Uh, you're so sweet. So much love going on here right now. I know. Right. You think we were like really close friends or something. I know. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Your detours and disappointments are the straight and narrow way back to him. When you turn your detours and disappointments into a learning and growth opportunity for yourself, you will begin to strengthen those around you. And that includes your children. Thank you so much for being here with me today. If you have liked what you've heard in this podcast, leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Your review will help others to find this podcast who also need this message.